Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Van der Sonder drives it across, brilliant header. Viviana Miedemar. Welcome to Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. And I'm Chloe Morgan. The FA Cup final has been decided. We assess Man City's season after they eye a second domestic trophy and ask how Arsenal can bridge the gap to Chelsea after they were outsmarted in the cup again. We also discussed North London manager Kenny Shields' comments last week and why exactly they are so damaging. What a lovely bank holiday weekend. It was. Just four days of pure bliss. Sunshine. Honestly, it was like that Lighthouse family song lifted when the sun comes out, it's like... We could be lifted. Oh, I was immediately thinking. From the shadows. We are gonna be. This is a football podcast. You and me. That was a bank holiday vibe. Stop. Chloe's bank holiday vibe was like, Box Park Wembley. Let me hear scream. Different. Different. So some of us had some very, I mean, I was hungover too, so I don't know what I'm saying. But some of us had some very 
um, light-hearted family bank holiday experiences and you with the Palace Girls raging, living it up. Box Pop Wembley, but he screams. Eagles. <laughs> yeah, I, Tell don't us, have, I don't have anything to contribute to this. Before so. we get stuck into the Women's <laughs> FA Cup semi-finals, give us a little quick um, play-by-play of your Sunday at Wembley. Well, with I could possibly girls. tell you everything that went down because that is confidential. What happens at Box what, Box Park stays at Box Park. What happens at Sobranos also stays at Sobranos. <laughs> Where there's some beverages consumed. Be- beverages. <laughs> a couple, but you know, we're professional athletes, so it's mainly just sort of um, you know, orange Fanta. tonic. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Waters, whatnot. Shots of, uh, you know, electrolytes, ginger, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> some <laughs> glucose sachets. Keep you know going. us, but um, um, there was a funny moment when um, your teammate Millie Farrow took yes. the mic and uh, started to tell all the Palace fans uh, where to go. It I was, I suppose, um, how we could summarize it. We always had concerns. We thought, <laughs> you know, AJ is going to take the lead on this one. She's got a very cool, calm head. We're thinking, yeah, she's going to be a good spokesperson because they got us all up on stage at Box Park. We're thinking. What a great way to promote the women's team. <laughs> oh, no. Little did we know. That <laughs> <laughs> Millie Farrow had nicked the mic off of AJ and decided to, well, proceeded to tell everyone that no one knew who we were and that if you're a proper Palace fan, you should all know who we were. At which point there was just silence in Box <laughs> Crickets. Park. Crickets. <laughs> do, you know, do you know how difficult it is to get silence in Box Park on a semi-final cup day? Oh. It, was, uh, it, was, it was bad. Yeah, we walked off stage. It was to silence. It was... It was different. I, what hope, a um, I mm. hope they do turn up now, though, in, in Bromley and watch you play after that rousing uh, motivational speech from Millie Farrow. It was a lot, or it could go the entirely <laughs> other way like, and we lose followers. You get but, everyone's um, on strike and never turns <laughs> up. But it sounded fun anyway. Um, sound like you enjoyed yourself. and We enjoyed ourselves too much, probably. Yeah. Love that. Um, and it was two enjoyable semi finals, I'd say. Um, the Chelsea Arsenal game was a little bit strange. A little bit of a strange vibe. Definitely a game that that um, screamed, it's been the international break, we're all a bit jet-lagged and tired and we don't quite know how to play football vibe. Yeah, I definitely feel a little bit vindicated because I normally cannot call those matches and I did say that I thought Chelsea were going to nick it and it would all come down to who came back from the international break best. Um, I'm not really sure either team did. I think, <laughs> I think actually it was who managed that best and I think Emma Hayes allowed her team to kind of absorb some of the pressure from Arsenal in the first half, kind of figure out what their game plan was and then pounced in the second half and Arsenal just didn't have any answers. It was all psychological for me, mentality monsters. You can probably find me saying that in every it, episode. Um, but I do think if you a team like Chelsea who can be, they were dominated in the first half and can still come out and win it, shows that like such a difference to Arsenal who dominated in the first half, couldn't get the goals and couldn't go on then to win it. Um, and I think when we talk about bridging the gap, I think that's what, for me, that's what Arsenal are lacking. I know you and I have a slightly different opinions, but I think it also did show that they hadn't played together for two weeks. Just the passes were kind of, particularly in the second half, the passes were lacking. Everything was just like slightly overhit or put slightly ahead too far and, you know, shots were wide. The fact that Arsenal had no shots on target, like it, it was a really weird game. I have some hot takes on this. Some of them may have been influenced by my the headache I had from my Saturday night antics. But I do genuinely, watching this game, made me realise, and parts of Arsenal's whole entire season, that even though they added a lot last summer and added a fair amount in January, they are a squad that looks like they need a massive overhaul because they've got individual players that aren't kind of coming together as well as they probably could. And their defence is just not strong enough. And I think that is the key 
this season, Arsenal been undone so many times when it comes to their defence. And when you look at them compared to Chelsea, Chelsea's defence have played together for a very long time. They've got some of the best defenders in the world in Millie Bright and Magda and Eriksson. Obviously, Eriksson's missed a little bit this season with injury. But they're just chalk and cheese. And I do think that even though Arsenal added two more defenders in the January window, in Reen Rother and Rafael Souza, they're still not strong enough to be starting in the WSL. They're still not up to speed yet. And they haven't you know, had that many opportunities. But they, they, I think they really need to strengthen this summer if they're going to get close to competing with Arsenal in the league and also in the Champions League. And actually, what Sunday showed me is I compare that game, and obviously it's one game. You know, We can't just define everything on that game. But that game made me feel like we, we spoke about the gap to Europe and that game felt like a prime example of actually a quite big gap in some of the best teams in Europe, if that those are the best teams and two teams in WSL. I have to caveat that with coming back from international break, loads of jet lag on that pitch. But it felt like, God, these two teams are still finding their feet, even though Chelsea are a team that have been together as a group for a long time now, most of it. Like Arsenal certainly need a few years under their belt with a with a strong group in order to even get close. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think what Idavel said after the match about consistency, there isn't a huge amount of consistency in the back line. That has been changed up quite a bit. And whether that's due to injury or whether that's due to wanting to play McCabe higher up the pitch or giving you know players the opportunity to start, um, that's where they're lacking. And I think Arsenal have played some really lovely football this season and that's how good they can be. That's like what they should be striving for, but they lack consistency in performances. And for me, I just, I never feel like I know what I'm going to get with Arsenal when they come out. And that's, you know, you think either they're going to get absolutely hammered like they did in the last FA Cup final, or it's going to be a really close game. And it just, you know, you just they, don't know what you're going to get. They are a bit hot and cold, aren't yeah. they? Um, and I think that terrible run they had over December and the start this year, like really spoke of a team that was very low on confidence. And then they've sort of worked to get that confidence back. But as soon as they suffer a defeat, it hits them so hard. Heads that defeat in the Champions League to Wolfsburg, it's just hit them so hard. And there's, and I think part of that is you've got a lot of individuals, some of whom aren't going to be here in the long term. You know, Tobin Heath definitely looks like a short-term uh, situation there and she struggled for fitness. We have still haven't seen the best in Nikita Paris with Arsenal and we maybe we never will. And Miedemar perhaps is going to Barcelona in the summer. So there's like some long-term, some short-term pieces and it's like packaging that all together is really difficult. And some players who are playing and are really, really good, like world-class, and some who are still like mid-table WSL, and blending that together, I think is really difficult. I just think, um, I've got to agree with you on the consistency point, and I also think a part of that is also to do with the kind of crumbling under pressure. Um, I know there's something we touched on before, but I think the game against Chelsea looked very, very similar to the game against Wolfsburg. It just didn't feel like they were they came out with confidence and, and actually believed that they were going to win that game. I mean, it would have been a complete game changer, I think, had Beth Mead converted that chance that she had early on. And then all of a sudden, you know, Chelsea on the back foot. But you're only going to get a very, you know, very few chances against a squad like Chelsea with such a, a great defensive record. And, I, and I've got to agree with the, the errors at the back. I mean, they were just not good enough for, for a team at that level. Yeah, um, and, and better players make fewer errors. There's all, all players make mistakes. Even the best players in the world make mistakes. But the better players will make fewer mistakes. And I think that's where Arsenal were kind of learning the hard lessons is they've got players who probably aren't good enough or aren't ready yet to be playing in some of these big games and they're being maybe pushed into those opportunities a little bit too early. I'm thinking, well, or some players who are coming towards the end of their careers as well. I think Jen Beattie being one of them. 
And then it's kind of like blending that youth with experience, but also needing players that fit the right thing. You know, you need that speed. You need players who can cope under pressure. And it's like they haven't quite got everything they need right now. But I don't think you can, I mean, at this level, you can't afford to be given away sloppy chances, sloppy defending like that. You just can't accept it. It's not acceptable for that to happen. And I think, you know, especially against teams like Chelsea and that, you know, the top of the league teams, they're going to pounce on those chances. And they did. And, and that is exactly why they lost that game. I mean, that could have been a game. Was it not for the, the sloppy defending? That could have been a game that went into extra time and penalties. But that wasn't allowed to happen. And, you know, when you get to penalties, it's, it's anyone's game. I think it's actually something that's quite almost endemic with Arsenal in that not taking their chances and not being able to handle pressure very well is not something that's just specific to this season. It's something I think we've seen over totally. the years with Arsenal. So that's something I think that should be addressed. Obviously, taking chances is one thing. I do feel like a lot of the time, once you get one or two goals, you know, you look at someone like Sam Kerr, who didn't have a great start to her career over here. Once she started getting a few goals, she was unstoppable. And I think there is an element of that with Arsenal is just kind of breaking that barrier, that psychological barrier. But I do think, for me, a lot of it is psychological. Um, because I think with the squad they have, they do have the talent. Um, and I do think that that's something that they need to look at. Not it wasn't just this season. It's just it just feels like this is the typical thing with Arsenal is they crumble and they don't take chances. I think also as a group, I think they're being put in these situations almost too soon because they need a few years under their belt where they can craft a player like Dotty Webmore who, in the grand scheme of things, in her career is still quite young. For I mean, even Leah Williamson is still quite young to be. The one of the best centre backs in the WSL, but in three years, that Williamson Moy partnership could be one of the best partnerships in WSL. But it's almost like they're being thrust into FA Cup finals, thrust into Champions League quarterfinals a little bit too early as a group, and then when they come up against teams who have, as a unit, been playing together for a long time or are in you know the peak 28, 29, 30, whatever, and playing as a group, they're just not going to be able to match them. Do you think Arsenal, with the club that they are and the history they have, will be afforded time to figure that out? Or do you well, think... more like Jonas Edeval, I suppose. Well, I was gonna yeah, say, but I think he's probably going to be the first one to go. If well, they have to balance that need for time, but also the fact that there's always going to be pressure, more pressure on them than any other club that needs time because of their history and because of who they are. So it's almost like the critics will never give them time because your Arsenal, you should have the best players, you should be at the top. Um, but if that, you know, from what you're saying, that's what they need. And I just, I don't know how you, you juggle those two things. It's recruitment though, isn't it? Like, you know, look at who you they You can recruit great in. players, but it doesn't mean, I mean, look at Everton. You bring in loads of great players. You need time for them to gel. Yeah, but I suppose Everton were looking on the long term with some of the age profiles of the players they bought in. And Arsenal have been doing that. I mean, Wienroth is very young. Rafael Souza's 30. So you would expect her to probably bring a bit more experience and quality, but she's never played in England before. And that is an adjustment. Tobin Heath, I think, was a luxury get. Is obviously, we all love Tobin Heath. I love Tobin Heath, but wasn't really a need. And Nikita Paris, I also think, was a bit of a luxury get. It hasn't changed that team. So I think... I mean, Blackstone is was superb addition and she has lit up her partnership with Biedemar is a joy to watch. Not so much, you know, the, things didn't quite work on Sunday for Arsenal. But I think recruitment has been questionable. Iwabuchi hasn't really been played in the in the best way under Adeval. And I yeah. think she could be I think she could be important for this team. But also Arsenal have an abundance of midfielders. Are they using their players the right way? So 
when you look, I thought, say, Leah Volti coming off at the weekend, I thought was unusual because I thought she'd been one of the best players on the field. I think it was partly because she got a knock on international duty. But bringing on Manum instead of, say, Nobbs or Iwabuchi when you're looking for goals, you know, stuff like that, are the players being utilised in the best possible way? Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Um, and I think it's going to be a very interesting mm-hmm. summer for Arsenal if they end the season with no trophies again, which would be, what, three years since they won their last trophy? Or, yeah, three years? I think that's my 2019. concern. Yeah. Yeah, I think- Can I count properly? Yes. Which, for a club like them, is massive. Mm-hmm. Is that with the history, the wealth of history, the trophies, the titles that they've won in the past, and then to come away from a season and be so close, it could only come down to, I suppose, a point. But to not win the title, be knocked out of the Champions League, knocked out of the FA Cup, I just think is uh, it's not looking good for a club like that. But let's quickly also give some credit to Chelsea because they obviously had a lot of players who come back from international duty as well. Also, obviously, a big Aussie contingent. But Sam Kerr had a bloody suitcase lost by Qatar Airways. What the hell are you playing at, lads? Um, so she didn't have half her, her wardrobe. So, you know, surprised she even had her kit to get on the pitch. But there you go. Gosh, um, she managed shocking. to find that. Uh, and, you know, they got the job done, like you said. Like, it wasn't pretty in parts. Um, they had quality in the right areas to get the job done. And sometimes you just got to do it and and win but I still think uh, compared to how this season started it's almost like Arsenal peaked too early and Chelsea have never actually I don't think we've ever seen Chelsea really hit their stride this season No and I think that says a lot about them that they can as I said be dominated in a match at least the first half and come out on top and I just think there's a there's a different level there every player knows their job so I feel like it doesn't matter and Emma Hayes says it's not about one player it's not about like your big names every player comes on knows their job and can slot in and there's no kind of if someone does get a knock if Magda Eriksson can start a match there isn't like a panic or a fear I mean mm. I looked at that team and thought oh this is Unusual, you know, Harder's on the bench, Ericsson's on the bench. Um, could this be an opportunity for Arsenal? But no, like they almost, while they have a strong starting 11, it's their bench is equally as strong. And I feel yeah, like you could, they've got such good depth. They know what their job is when they go on the pitch. And I think that's the difference. So when you do get have those substitutions during a match, it doesn't kind of stop the flow. This is something Wiegmann talked about during mm-hmm. the um, international breaks was about those connections and about bringing on players and sometimes, you know, the, the momentum of the game can shift because you've not quite got those connections and relationships or it takes a few minutes. With Chelsea, everything just slots into place really, really easily. Um, and I think it just shows they do have that winning mentality. And when they smell blood, they pounce. And yeah, I think maybe Arsenal true. lack that kind of, um, what's the word? Ruthlessness. Ruthlessness, I also yeah. think it's interesting if, if Chelsea do win the title and you compare that to the way that they won the title last season, which was... Kind of from start to finish, bar defeat to Brighton and a few difficult results elsewhere. They kind of had their foot on the accelerator from the get-go and it, there was only really going to be one winner and they tore it up. Frank Kirby, Sam Kerr, especially in their ridiculous partnership. Now you look at this season, if it ends with Chelsea holding the WSL title, it's kind of strange because you actually look at Arsenal and Chelsea, I'm kind of like, neither of you have really... Not not deserve it because that's harsh. But like I think both managers admit neither of them have been flawless this season. Neither of them have ever felt comfortable or felt good. And we've had COVID outbreaks. We've had uh, postponed fixtures. It's been a real topsy turvy season. But all in all, it'll be strange compared to a lot of Chelsea's other titles where they've won and truly kind of stood on that podium, being like, "There is no one that can come close to us." It almost feels like they will win because Arsenal and City faltered. But I do think you have 
moments in years, different years, where things do look completely different. Like I don't think the leagues are always going to go in a, in a certain way. So I think you know sometimes you do just have a, a situation. I've had this before where there's been two teams that are in and about the kind of t- top two, but not really played at their best. But it all comes down to consistency. And I think we keep using that word, but when you look at the consistency that Chelsea have shown throughout this entire season, that that is why they're going to be well probably the title winners this season because I just don't think that they're they've they've really dropped at all at I, any point. I think they've 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 lost a couple of games yeah. they weren't expected to, but the, the the recovery, the comeback from those games has been instant. It's been the next game that they've gone back on form, and I think that's where Arsenal I think have have suffered this season. Yeah, not it hits them hard, form. doesn't it? They can't it's find that. their rhythm again after taking a knock. I also think some credit has to go to the other teams in and around the middle of the table because games are harder to play now. Games mm-hmm. are harder to win now. True, the league is much more competitive. Yeah, and yeah. I think as well it shows that. Um, Chelsea can win different kinds of matches that they're not always going to win matches that they are completely dominate um, and that experience of winning those tight matches winning last minute against Aston Villa whatever that might be um, they all count and they all they all go into that kind of experience bank so when they do come up against different types of football they're in a much better position to manage it um, but like you say like no kind of season's always going to be mm-hmm. the same 1 size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A man who talked a lot about consistency and quality in his post-match was West Ham manager Oli Harder. I think he said it eight times. Nice. Um, After West Ham's uh, defeat to Manchester City. Um, I think this game really kind of summed up the gap in the WSL that still exists between the lower to mid group of teams who are trying to push on, who have a decent budget, and those who are just so far ahead. A team like Man City who has so much individual quality, 
that they can just steamroll you and West Ham will just struggle to even get close. And that's kind of the thing what Oli Harder was touching on his post-match and he really referenced that he thinks it needs to be not just West Ham, but the entire WSL that needs to push on and compete with these teams because when you look at Man City, you look at West Ham, it's just obviously they beat them in the WSL this season, but it was where when City were at kind of their lowest uh, and where City are now with a near fully fit squad and just attacking it, it, they've got some really good attacking quality in, in full flow I still don't think they have a, a brilliant identity and a style of play but they, they have players that can see them through and get the job done but when then you would look at West Ham are trying to do I really like what Oli Hard is trying to do but he just doesn't have players to punish teams I feel like West Ham are kind of one or two top signings away from really really challenging yeah totally I don't feel like that scoreline reflected the game um, I thought West Ham were in it for a good portion of it, particularly in the first half. Um, and it was a couple of, you know, individual errors which happened in football um, that kind of, that gave Man City the foothold. Um, but there were some moments and movements from West Ham that were absolutely lovely. Um, Svitkova was one particular standout. There was some lovely I love work, her. Yeah, some lovely work in the midfield, you know, and they'd get up right up to the, the Man City box and that's where it kind of all fell apart. Mm-hmm. There was never really anyone there to finish like nice movements like that. Now, there's not going to be loads of those opportunities in a match against Man City. But if you've got those one or two players who can finish off those movements, games like that aren't going to be 4-1. Do you know what I mean? You could be looking at 2-2 and going into extra time. So I really like the foundations in what West Ham are doing. And they've, they're growing an identity. And I think that is important. And it's a bit more, of, I guess, of a long-term project. But the gap is closing. Mm. It reminds me of when I took my friend's ex-girlfriend to watch QPR Wolves about going? seven years ago. And she turned to me and said, do you know what this game could really do with Eden Hazard? And I was like, you're not wrong. I think sometimes <laughs> you just need that next bit level of quality to transform a team or transform a game. And I think you're right. I think that's exactly what West Ham is missing because I really like what, what Oli Hard is trying to do and he's created such a good identity. They're an intense, high-pressing side. They they have some good players on the ball. Hasegawa, uh, Svitvika, I, I, I love them. Defensively, they're they're quite weak at times. They've got some young players as well that are trying to play a, a level above. But if Harder can get a little bit of budget, entice a few big names over, I think you know they really could go far. And I think he, he's a, he's an interesting character as well. I think he's good for the league, uh, and I like what they're doing. So yeah, I was really impressed with them. I thought, especially in the first half, mm. I thought they they yeah they didn't take their chances but again they called um, Ellie Roebuck into action on a couple of occasions and that was that was really early on so I think given the progression of where the clubs come from you know I can definitely see a massive development in mentality not even just experience and skill on the pitch but the mentality because I think you know once you've gone 2-0 down against a team like Man City you're thinking okay well the game's only going to go one way but you know to finish that half on a 2-1 you're thinking okay well they're back in the game and there was I did I didn't get the sense that oh actually the game was done by half time by by any means and I think the old West Ham would have done that so I do see a massive a massive progression in in how they are and a couple of shout outs as well Chloe Kelly comeback goal the legend oh so good what, where are we now on this because I two weeks ago we were like she could make the Euro squad. I'd, I'd Where are you guys now? I I'd want her. her. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, yeah. she's just like fresh. I'm a little bit scared because talent. I just want her to like, uh, like long term. I want her to not have a repeat injury. So mm. I'm like, let's also protect her. But at the same time, I'm like, she's up for it. Yeah, yeah. Why would you not be? I mean, what a, a fantastic opportunity to make even an even bigger name for yourself on a, on a world yeah. stage. And, and I, I think, think obviously we've talked about England, but I think she's probably the only real 
addition that might Wild change card, in the squad. If you like. Yeah, yeah. Um, if she can get back fit enough. But we'll talk more about England, obviously, as we go head up to the Euros. But the other shout out as well, Kira Walsh. I think mm. she was man of the match for the game. BBC's pick for for player of the match. She had a, a really a really good game and hit the bar with what would have been absolute screamer of a goal um she is so calm so cool so collective so calm and the technique that you've got to employ to, to pull off a strike like that you know obviously she hit the woodwork but it was just phenomenal i mean there's no chance as a goalkeeper you don't even see that coming until you hear the sound of the woodwork it's just what's that tell, what does that sound like because horror is it it's like what's going to happen next because yeah. as soon as the ball's bounce it like bounce and it's loud the field as well, well right? it, it's all sore up for whoever's yeah. um yeah and obviously ellen white gets on the end of it and it's yeah just, it's what it is it's game Come on, man. I find there's some midfielders in the league that I feel I don't give enough credit to because I just don't see them as much when I'm mm. sitting pitch side as a photographer because they just do their business quietly right yes and that's it like you'll have your forwards and your defenders mostly in my shots but with Kira Walsh with like Leah Volti as well the reason they're so good is because they do the basics well. I feel like Volti does get some, she has more main character energy because she's quite gobby. So she she does get yellow cards and like gets in the rest face. Whereas yeah. Wal, Kira Walsh is quite quiet. Yeah, but I don't see that, that as much. I don't see that as much. And I've, I, you know, there's been a lot of people singing her praises a lot, Leah Volti, this season. Not that I didn't think she deserved it, but I just, I guess I didn't see it. And mm. then she was out for that Wolfsburg away game and I was like, okay, this is it. I yeah. see what she does now. And it's, it's that link up play and that quietly going about your business really, really, really well and uh, yeah we saw that with Kira Walsh the weekend and I also think I mean we, we talked obviously a long time about Arsenal but Arsenal need a bit of a bruiser like Leo Volti that makes such a big difference and with City it's like Walsh does some of that ugly stuff and I think less in a, in a bruiser way that that, that Walti does because I think that's just her style of play is quite physical Kira Walsh does that but there's a calmness to the physicality yeah and I think she she is a lot stronger than her physique would make you believe yeah I uh, think she can come in and slam away a player and get that ball and I think if I was an opportunity player I'd be like I'm going to beat you to this and she'd be like bam yeah. I'll be on the floor like Kira help please <laughs> I'm so sorry like she just there's something so balanced about her I feel like City's game lights up when she has the ball and she's driving forward with it because it's often passed around the back a lot and I've noticed this when I'm sitting you know behind a goal with with City's defence in front of me there is a lot of slow ball passing around the back as soon as it gets to Kira Walsh and she starts spraying those shots that's where the game lights up and that's where things get really interesting and she's kind of I guess the puppet master Producer Charlie's put in uh, our little doc um, asking, is Gareth Taylor still a fraud? Which I feel like is a question Obviously directly directed at me. you. <laughs> you. Um, I still do feel like Man City don't have an identity and don't have a, a clear style of play. That is bold. I think they have a lot of brilliant individuals that, that carry them through games and I still feel like Gareth Taylor hasn't in, entirely imprinted what he wants that team to do. Because I feel like it feels like it's get the ball to Lauren Hemp or use someone like Caroline Weir to carry the ball and then play it out wide to Lauren Hemp to finish or pump a ball into the box and hope Ellen White gets onto the end of it. I feel like all three of those things that you've just mentioned do actually work, though. Isn't that football? I think it is. Isn't that an identity? Like? <laughs> I've been rumbled. Um, no, I, I don't know. I just feel like there's no, there's certainly no plan B beyond that. And and you just named A, B, and C. No, but if if a, <laughs> if a team if a team if a team shuts that down, 
order. They have no... Well, most of the time, a, they, a team would look at, at City and say, right, well, first things first, we've got to shut down Lauren Hemp. That is the main, main task. And a lot of the time, they can't do that. So then City mm-hmm. is successful. But I think as a team as a whole... There's not a lot of creativity beyond that. There's not, you know, they don't really press ever. They're quite slow in what they do. I'd agree with that. And I think long term, I just think that they are going to struggle to win a title anytime soon because they actually, I mean, think about, I think if Jonas Adeval had Man City's squad, I think we would maybe be seeing slightly different scenarios for Arsenal and Manchester City, is what I would say. Interesting. Okay, because I was just thinking as you were saying that, and I was thinking about Arsenal, and if you shut down the options of Viv Miedema and Beth Mead on the wing and marked out Laxenius, um, it kind of massively limits their options too. But then when you take what you're saying there and apply it to Chelsea, Chelsea have more depth in terms of who can change a game. Mm-hmm. I don't think Arsenal have more depth. Because if you take do, like Sonny Salicator, you've got Miedema, Kim Little, Tobin Heath. No, but I was saying there, if you shut down those three options, yeah. Mead, Viv, Blacksenius, it makes it much harder. In the same way that if you if you shut down Weir, Hemp, you know. I think, but for City, I think it's all it is is shutting down Hemp. I you mean, would... agree to disagree. <laughs> She's a key player. Of course. I mean, yeah, but that is, not the it's, only one, one. it's one dimensional. And I think, the, I think Arsenal and Chelsea have far more attacking options. There's no strike I think they partnership. They have far more attacking options, but I don't. I don't necessarily think that puts City at a disadvantage. I wouldn't say they're you know massively lacking in attacking options. I think they're not lacking in top sh- attacking options, but they're indiv- individual attacking options of which Lauren Hemp is the go-to eighty-five percent of the time. Ellen White hasn't had a very good season in a City shirt. Is that because Lauren Hemp hasn't been getting the crosses in, or yeah, a lot of it is down to the supply that she's been getting. But the focal point and the clear identity for Man City has been give the ball to Lauren Hemp and see what happens. And that's not going to be effective to win yourself a title. Yeah, I guess if you look at other teams and say, give the ball to, there isn't necessarily that one key player that you rely entirely on in a lot of the other teams. So yeah, I get your point. Their setup is quite... One-dimensional. Yeah. Okay. Or you just give the ball to Weir, she runs 50 <laughs> yards and then she launches one from, like, I don't know. But you can't do that. Line. You can't do that every single game. Well, it works. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have we come here talking about Weir <laughs> and the space she's been given? Well, I think, you know, uh, with another another season under his belt, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with, with, with Man City next season. They could end the season with two domestic trophies. So they will be having the laugh, last laugh, certainly. Uh, uh, yeah, but, but I also don't think we were at all wrong to question Question to totally, the beginning of their season. Totally. And I think, yes, they had a lot of injuries, but they also had a lot of talent in the squad. And I think if we'd sat here and gone, oh, well, the injuries, I'm sure everything will be fine by the second half of the season, we wouldn't be doing a very good job. And you'd also think with the players that he's had last season and this season, probably on paper, maybe the best squad in the WSL, they should be winning even more than they have over the last two years. Yeah. And I think if they had a different coach, they would, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Anyway, moving swiftly on. I mean, we're going to talk about this. um, Let's move on to something less controversial, shall we? It's just the eye roll of the century. And, you know, there's been opinion pieces. There's been lots of stuff on the radio and television about it. So we're not going to chew your ear off about it because I think most people who listen to this podcast, I would like to think, know that it was... Wrong, offensive, and just plainly sexist. There's no question about it. 
But we have to talk about uh, what Kenny Shields said last week. And also we have to talk about because Rachel was actually there uh, in Belfast. So can give us the play-by-play of the actual vibe in the press conference room. (laughs) If you haven't heard them, and obviously we know that the quote itself, which is women are more emotional than men, is taken out of the long press conference. But there is a whole clip on uh, the BBC website, which is about a minute and a half, which has this whole... I would say, rambling, um, bizarre kind of statement around it, which you can listen to if you want to hear the whole thing. But, um, yeah, Rachel, you were there. So tell, take us through what it was like that night in Belfast. <laughs> Let me take you back. It was a cold, rainy night in Belfast. Um, oh, I love it. We so were the atmosphere. S- sat in the press box. Um, no, we weren't. We were in a post-match. Um, yeah, it was unusual because, I mean, the the press conference had been a little bit unusual already up until then because it had just been quite a long, drawn out press conference. So when I read things like it was in the heat of the moment and it's not what he meant and all this kind of stuff from people who weren't actually there, it was a very chilled out press room in terms of the, people weren't firing off questions or difficult questions. Um, he had a lot of time to to ask th- uh, to answer things in his roundabout way which was often quite lengthy um and i think actually you know his his comment of it happens right through the whole spectrum of the women's game because girls and women are more emotional than men so they take a goal going in they don't take it very well um as antoinette McKeown, the sports northern ireland ceo said for me it was not a clumsy it was not clumsy use of language this was a candid view expressed and expanded upon and i ag- agree with that it was a very kind of relaxed it was atmosphere. very also defiant like this is this fact. is the situation and he, he kind of said you know there's stats and you journalists like stats and you know he expressed his view and then he kind of reiterated what he said and we kind of just sat, it was one of those like you don't almost you don't hear anything after that you're like wait did I did he just say and then you're kind of looking at each other you don't want to interrupt because he's still talking um so yeah it was absolutely bizarre and i think the response to it from the players being that they'd spoken about it as a team and it's something they identified within themselves as a team that's absolutely fine and if that's what was said in the press conference we would have moved on and the headline would be something totally different but the fact was it was it was indicated that it happened specifically to women, more so with women, and right through the spectrum of women's football. It was so, like, the biggest sweeping statement of all time. Like, I've researched this, it's fact right now. Uh, everyone just listen and we'll, we'll just take this as And then he followed up it. with kind of, I shouldn't have I shouldn't yeah, have, said, told I have told you that. Yeah, it was just such But a it also, the way he said it, it wasn't like, I shouldn't have told you that, whoopsie, that was offensive. It was like, I shouldn't have told you my state secrets. Yes. Now you all know the secret of football. Jesus <laughs> Christ. I mean, for me, I think when you, I don't know, I was speaking to you guys about this before and when you come across so much sort of discrimination, sexism and misogyny in women's football, comments like this are kind of water off a duck's back. I know mm. that sounds awful to say because every comment like this is harmful and offensive to women's football and it sets such a, a horrible precedent for, you know, girls, you know, women coming up through the game reading things like this that aren't true. And, you know, for me, I was I was looking back and thinking, okay, let's play devil's advocate here. Is there any truth in what he's saying? Let's have a look at the stats. It wasn't and, even truth in their game. It's it's literally that. And I was looking back over the game and, you know, the stats in the game, the first goals in 26 minutes, then 52, then 60, 70 and 79. And I think for me as a player, I mean, we go through spells where we do concede goals very quickly. And we know from kind of the research side of things that that's more likely to be because of fatigue and who we're playing against. And, you know, our heads do go down in certain situations and that likely that is likely to affect our confidence on the pitch. So all those kind of factors come into play. But what he's saying 
people are emotional in games. It's not a gender issue. It's a it's yeah, a it's exactly. a fact of of the game. In, in it's the a fact of being a human being. Absolutely, we and, are emotional. I'm playing at that level. I mean, it's the pressure as well. And like, to be honest, I mean, you know, they're expecting to lose that game. England are what eighth in the world rankings, and Northern Ireland, I think, are semi-professional. Yeah, semi-professional and 46 in the world in the world rankings. So they were expected to, you know, once one goal goes in, they're going to get fatigued. It's the it's coming towards the end of the match. They know they're not going to win that game. Goals are likely to happen in quick succession. So it was just um, what he said was absolute bullshit. Um, obviously, but uh, you know, you do um, you do really sort of just try not to let things like that affect you because you just know that what he's saying is utter crap. Yeah, and I feel like obviously he's going to be at the Euros managing Northern Ireland, and I feel like. We're gonna see a little bit more of a taste of the the spice, the spice of Kenny Shields. He is prone to saying some odd things. I would say uh, in and around football matches, uh, and I think we're gonna see more of it over the Euros. And then who who knows what's next for him? I mean, the Irish FA have stood by him. His players have stood by him. You know, they said we had a meeting about this, uh, and he, you know, we 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 are aware of this ourselves. I. Don't think what was said in that meeting, but I hope it wasn't focused around them as women, but probably was, uh, and focus on them as footballers because football is an emotional game, like you say, Chloe, and human beings are emotional, and there's lots of other elements that are going to contribute to that, uh, and I think that's that's the thing that should should be said first and foremost. I think as well, you know, nobody's saying he's not a good manager, and nobody's saying that what they've achieved isn't amazing. This isn't; they're not like. You know, mutually exclusive. You know, he has done a good job with that team. It's incredible that they're going to the Euros. We're all really excited to see them there. But he's also made some really stupid sexist comments. And it would be remiss of us to not call them out as women's football journalists, women's sport advocates, women's equality advocates. If we just sat there, listened to that and ignored it, we wouldn't be very good at our jobs. So, of course, we were going to speak about it and bring it up and say, you know, this isn't right. Because the only way to root out sexism in women's sport is to call it out. Um, so it wasn't an anti-Northern Ireland thing. We weren't, not, you know, I didn't really read anyone saying he has to lose his job or that he hasn't done a good job. He's done a bloody brilliant job with that team. And the squad really respect him. And, you know, they've come out and supported him. But at the same time, his comments are, as you say, bullshit. I think what we'll see, actually, for the, I'm just thinking about the sort of games coming up that he's going to be, you know, with the squad. And, you know, if I was a press officer in those kind of situations, I'd be thinking, OK, well, Kenny, probably don't talk at the next ones. <laughs> we'll get <laughs> some your head down. Keep your nut down. <laughs> yeah. I also think, you know, it's really interesting as a sport. Not interesting. It's actually pretty shit for women's football. But women's football has had massive issues when it comes to the way players are treated, the way players are talked about and the stuff that we don't even hear as journalists or as fans of the game. So I, that's why I think it's even more important when someone does say something like this in the cold light of day to call it out. Because if I take the case of the England women's team, you know, there was so there's been so much darkness in that team, around that team, to do with a former coach. And it took a very long time before we kind of got some closure from that. And that's players who have been traumatised for the rest of their lives and their careers have been negatively impacted as a result of what happened. And therefore, I think it's really important that we also draw attention to these things in the moment because for me, I look at that and I think, what the hell is he maybe saying behind the scenes? And I think it's really important to let players know. And we obviously don't want to speak for players or tell them what to think. But at the same time, like they as a group shouldn't need to up with things like that and I think we should be getting to a place where we as a collective should make the game better and have the right people in those positions doing the right things and I think it's I I, I think it's difficult though I think as as players 
because you are so used to comments like that being made. And sometimes, you know, comments can be made by your own coaches, by your own managers, by the support staff around you, because these people have been in and around the game for so long. So the views that Kenny Shields is, is given, it's not it's not a completely outlandish weird view it's just it's an outdated one it's one that wouldn't have raised an eyelid you know five ten years ago but because you as players have been in the game so long you you actually get accustomed and normalized yeah, to things totally. that are said so and you feel powerless right and I think it's about empowering people to feel like they can speak up and say I found that offensive and I I don't I I'm not going to feel like I'm going to have my career impacted because I'm speaking up and talking about when I find things offensive or talking about certain issues because I feel like as a as a game it's still quite kind of internal and closed off mm-hmm. from those kind of things because people will just say oh it's just classic like sexism in I the game I think it depends it massively depends though on your status as a player oh totally um, massively I think you're going to have the more experienced players um, you know who will feel more comfortable being able to share these views but if I was a 19 year old or a 20 year old trying to make my you know starting debut in, in the, the national squad would I be would I be calling out my own manager and saying okay what you're saying is outdated sexist and misogynist can you can you stop no to- no, no totally I, I, I yeah. wouldn't yeah I, but I also think that's why we're here as journalists mm-hmm. and if the squad back him which is great you know they've done a huge amount together they obviously it's a bond there they obviously think he's a good manager he's gotten them this far fully um, respect them backing him they've got a massive the biggest tournament of their careers coming up it's our jobs to call this shit out. And I think the way I look at it is if someone in the men's game on, I don't know, match of the day or something said a comment like that, we would all be up in arms united about it. Um, so I think it's different when you're, and it's not necessarily right, but when you're closer to someone or you have a relationship with someone or you really respect someone, that when they say something wrong, it can be harder yeah, to and then and you wanna, step and up and Yeah, and a lot of people you know, want to defend their character yeah, and, of course. and who they are. And, it doesn't and, define them as a person, no, etc. Yeah. Totally. Well... We'll wait and see Oof, what King Kenny comes end. out with this summer, eh? I think he's going to keep us all entertained. I'd that's for sure. Anything. <laughs> we should have like a, a King Kenny section where we're like quote of the week or something oh like that. Oh my God, we should. Or like a swear jar where we like chuck in a quid if he says something funny or I weird think or be embarrassing silent. or rude. Um, anyway, uh, that is it for this episode of Upfront. Where are we off to this weekend? Uh, I think I'm doing Southampton tomorrow, actually. Uh, and then Brighton on Saturday and then Reading on Sunday. And I'm going to try and get to Villa after Reading. I'm at The Hive uh, for Spurs on Sunday. Where oh, are you, The Hive, that old place. That's oh, Buzz. Gem. R.I.P. Um, I will be at the Watford game. Uh, it's our last home game of the season. Nice. And then we're all going out for All you lunch. Palace fans who don't give a shit about Palace women, you better <laughs> you turn, turn up we are on, down. on Sunday. Come on. <laughs> I'll see you there. <laughs> Love it. Well, um, yeah, if you want to get in touch, tweet us at Football Ramble, at Floyd Tweet, at Girls on the Ball, or at Morgie underscore 89. And we'll see you all next week. Upfront is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.